Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to take them and turn to the, the final minor prophet, the 12th minor prophet, the um, Italian prophet, Malachi or Malachi, some call him Malachi. Uh, Malachi uh, is the last book of the Old Testament. So this is a pretty big deal here today. I mean, we've got after Malachi, there's 400 years of nothing before John the Baptist explodes upon the scene. So it's a big deal today as we come to the book of Malachi. Congratulations is in order. I mean, I'm telling you, look, you've done something that few churches will ever do. You have walked all the way to the 12th minor prophet. I feel like I need to hand out some honorary doctorates for you who have made it through these 12 uh, minor prophets. Uh, a pastor friend of mine says it like this. Look, this, this series, series like this one, is not a church growth strategy, okay? It's just not. Maybe a spiritual growth strategy, sure, but not a church growth strategy. And wh- what excites me is you not only have just been grinning and bearing it, you've been participating, which I'm thankful. Here's some more pictures of our 12th man towel that we've taken over the city. And I want you to pay attention to the location of these. Here's one at a gym. The next one is in the parking lot, changing a flat tire. How about that? That's pretty cool. Uh, here's one of a crazy group of guys that work out at 5.30 a.m. Uh, they're doing it in a rainstorm there this past week. Uh, here's another picture of Dr. House in one of our homes, of one of our church members here. Uh, here's uh, Miss Yvonne Mayberry after knee surgery, sporting that 12th man towel in the hospital. And there's, here's in the marketplace. So I love the locations. Every location's different. What a great place to remind people Uh, to let them know, to point them to Christ through these 12 major promises in the 12 minor prophets. Now, I was going to remind us of the promises we've looked at uh, this series, but we don't have time for that. We're going to get straight into Malachi. Uh, So Malachi chapter 1, I want to speak to you on a subject this morning entitled, Don't Shoot the Messenger. Okay? (laughs) I would appreciate it today if you did not shoot the messenger. That would be a blessing uh, for me. Uh, So... We're going to go to Malachi. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 1, verse 6. And as you're finding your place there in chapter 1, verse 6, I want to tell you about one of the saddest days at our house all year long. It happened this past Tuesday. One of the, it, it can be the sunniest day outside, but one of the gloomiest days inside. I mean, it's a day we dread it every year. It, it comes around once a year. It's be the best of days. It's the worst of days. It's, it's, just, it's a tough day. It's the day that I have to make the announcement that it's time to winterize and cover the swimming pool. That is a dangerous day at my house. The girls don't like to hear that. And so I have to give the disclaimer, don't shoot the messenger, but it's time to cover the pool. So today, as we get into Malachi, don't shoot the messenger. If you're at Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, would you say Italian stallion? Here we go, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? 
And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I'll not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Father, we gather here in this place, uh, in and through and by the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, the name given uh, among men by which we must be saved, uh, the name Jesus. So God, we pray that today we will make much of you, that we will honor you, uh, Lord, that we will fear you, that we will return to you, that we will serve you and obey you and worship you, beginning right now in this place. And God, that you would be pleased and that you would be honored. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody says, all right, the back of your worship, God, there's some blanks, the very top one. Uh, it's the takeaway, it's the big idea, the main truth of, the, of this message. And so I've worded it this way. It's the 12th promise in this series that God is making to the nations. And here it is. God's name will be honored among the nations. That is the theme of Malachi. God's name will be honored among the nations. Whether Israel participates in it or not, whether America, the church in America participates in it or not, God's name will be honored among the nations, period. That will happen. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, and in the end will come, God's name will be honored among the nations. So, this morning, what I want to do is walk through these chapters, not every verse, we're not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to ask seven questions, okay? Somebody say seven. All right, we're going to ask seven questions. Here's number one. Are you honoring God's name with your message? As a follower of Christ, what message are you sending out? As you go to school, go to work, as you... Uh, hang out with folks. What message are you sending out? Uh, is your message that you're sending out, is it honoring God's name? Not just on Sunday. I'm talking about Sunday all the way to the next Sunday. Is your message, is it honoring God's name? Look at chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle. Somebody say oracle. This is, the word for this is burden. It's, it's a load to carry. So Malachi has a load on him. He's carrying a burden. You can do a few things with a burden. You can carry it. Uh, you can transfer it. Uh, you can unload it. So he's got this burden that's, that, that, that I don't even think Uber or Lyft could carry it. It's so heavy. It's from the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. So Malachi is not the originator of this message. He is the messenger. The word is the message. Israel is the recipient. And God is the originator. And so here we go. Let's see what the message is. What was the message then? Here's the message. I have loved you, says the Lord. Isn't that good to know that God loves us? I mean, what a message, right? I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, 
What are they saying? What are the people of God saying? How have you loved us? God, you hadn't loved us. How have you loved us, God? Here's what they're dealing with, okay? They're questioning God's love. They're not appreciating God's care and love for them. They're calling it into question. They're saying, hey, God, we're back from exile. This is about 80 years after Zechariah and Haggai. So they're back from exile. And God promised Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. And they're looking around saying, God, we're not a great nation. Uh, We're just not. Uh, The glory is not as it was in Solomon and David's day, God. We're, We're not who we once were. Do you really love us, God? This isn't happening how we anticipated it. So maybe you're here today thinking, God, do you really love me? I mean, I'm going through this separation. I've had this loss of a loved one that's died. I've lost my job. I've been let go from, from work. I've got, um, I've got this issue with my family, the sickness in my family. I mean, God, do you really love me? Let me remind you, somebody write down Romans 8 somewhere. Write it down somewhere, Romans 8. For nothing, can separate, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has demonstrated his love for us, and nothing can separate us from that. So here's what God says to him: I love you, and not only that, I have shown you that I love you. God shows us he loves us in his actions. Check this out. Look at, look at verse 2 uh, again, and verse 3. Uh, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Now we see that and we squirm. God hates somebody. Ugh, that's just hard to hear. It's hard to, it's hard to say that God would hate anybody. Well, understand, God's love and hate is not like our love and hate. right? God loved Jacob. It's not that God falls in love with us. He doesn't fall in love with us. It's not the love we see when we watch a Hallmark movie and a couple run in, runs into each other and falls in the snow and then all of a sudden they're married. Right? It's not that kind. God doesn't fall in love with us like that. And God doesn't hate us like we think of hate. Like God doesn't throw a temper tantrum. He doesn't blow his top. He doesn't lose his temper. This is a comparison. The idea is God is favoring one over the other. He's pursuing one over the other. Because look what Edom does in verse 4. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I'll tear it down. They'll be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Why? Because they don't fear. Esau didn't fear God. Edom doesn't fear God. They, they've rejected him. They, they, they say, we're going to do this. We're not relying on God to do it. We're going to do it. And God says, you can do it, but I'm going to tear it down. So the idea here is God is favors one. He pursues one over the other. It's the idea of comparison here in his love and in his hate. And God has proven to the people of God that he loves them through the exodus, taking them out of Egypt, crossing into the promised land. That's proof. God loves us in action because of his actions toward us. And so for us, how has God loved us? How has he shown it? Through the cross, man. <laughs> He's demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that Jesus loved us and he laid down his life for us, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if your message as a believer is going to be honoring to God's name, your message must be God loves me and he's proven it by way of the cross. Our message cannot be justification by sanctification. 
We cannot say that we are earning our salvation, that we are working for it, and one day we're going to earn to be loved by God and to be saved by Him. That is not our message, church. Uh, Works has nothing to do with our salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Listen, when my girls, Brady and Belle, the moment they were born, the moment they were born, they were born uh, the daughters of Sam and Tanya Greer. They were born our children the moment, now yes, they were our children in the womb, of course, but when they were born, they were born as our daughters. Uh, Brady is 13 now, okay? Brady is no more a child of Tanya and Sam now, 13 years later, than she was then the moment she was born. So the moment you are born again, you become a child of God. That he gave us the right to become children of God. For those who believe in his name, for those who call upon his name, have given the right to become children of God. The moment you're born again, you are a child of God. You don't become more of a child of God as you grow up in your salvation. Justification is not by way of sanctification. That can't be our message. Our message must be that God loves us and he's proven it by way of the cross. So that message is honoring to God's name. I pray and hope that is your message. Number two, are you honoring God's name in your ministry? Now, chapter 1, verse 6 through chapter 2, verse 9 is one big, one big section of Scripture that deals with corporate worship. It deals with the priests giving instruction from, the, from, from God's Word. And so it deals with all this idea of worship, okay? So in your ministry, whatever that is, if you're a follower of Christ and you're a member of God's body and you've been given a gift and a place of service, so are you serving him in a way that honors him? Whatever that ministry is, if it's in the choir, if it's in the orchestra, if it's in the parking lot greeters, if it's serving soup later today, whatever it is, are you serving, are you honoring his name? So let's see what God says about it in verse 6. Check this out. A son honors his father and a servant his master. So uh, that should remind us of a commandment, the fifth commandment. What does the fifth commandment say? Honor your what? Honor your who? <laughs> honor your father and mother, right? right? So God says, if I'm a father, where's my honor? You're not honoring me. If I'm a father, where is it? If I'm a master, where's, where's the fear? So here's, here's what they had done. They had forgotten who God is. And when we forget who God is, we forget who we are. They forgot, hey, God's a father, so they forget, oh, I'm a child of God. Because if he's not a father, then I'm not a son. So I've forgotten who God is. I forget who I am. They forgot that God is master, meaning they are servants, right? If we forget God is master, we put ourselves in the place of master, and that's a disaster. Because we're not masters. Amen? Okay, if he is king, then we are kingdom citizens. If he is judge, then we are not judges. We better walk carefully. If he is creator, then we are image bearers of the creator. So we cannot forget who God is because we will so easily forget who we are. So God reminds them of who he is. I am father, I am master. But you, O priest, despise my name. And they say, well, how? How do we despise your name in verse 6? God tells them by offering second, somebody say second best. Y'all have seen these commercials, haven't you? This just okay is not okay commercial. Have you seen these commercials? Just okay is not okay with God. You can't bring your just okay worship to God. You can't bring your just okay service and fear and worship and honor to God. Second best isn't going to cut it. 
In fact, God tells them, okay, take that to your governor. Now, at this point in time in Israel's history, they don't have kings at this time. They have authorities, and governor's one of them. And Okay, take this type of attitude to your governor. T- take this. Tomorrow morning, you go into work. Go tell your boss, listen, I'm going to go about half speed today. That's about the best you're going to get out of me the rest of the year. Now, what's, how would that be received? God said, take that to your principal, to your teacher, to your president, to your CEO, to your boss. Take that. See if they'll accept that. And you want me to accept that? You want the creator God to accept this second best worship? And here he gets radical. And I know it's radical. Look at verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who just shut the doors. Red Bank Baptist Church, if you're going to bring me your second best, I would rather you close the doors and just shut it down. Just, just close it down. Just become Dead Bank Baptist Church because that's it. If you're going to bring me your second best, I don't want it. We're done. And that's radical. You say, does God really want to see that happen? Well, go to the book of Revelation and you can read in Revelation 2 through 3 and read about churches who are about to have the lampstand removed. So God is serious about that. It's happened many times over. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Paul Harvey. Anybody know Paul Harvey? Radio commentator. Uh, One of the stories that he tells about a true story, a lady who had a 23-year-old Thanksgiving turkey. It was frozen for 23 years in her deep freezer. So she called the Butterball Hotline. Ask a representative, can, I cook, can we eat this turkey? And they said, well, has it been frozen for that long? And Sherry said, yeah, listen, it's probably safe to eat. I wouldn't recommend eating it. It's probably, the flavor's probably deteriorated to a degree, no pun intended, that won't be enjoyable. So I would not advise eating it. And so the caller said, well, great, I'll give that turkey to my church. <laughs> right? A 23-year-old turkey attitude is unacceptable to God. It's not honoring his name, okay? It's just, it's just not. I hope nobody made some 23-year-old turkey soup today or anything for lunch. And then he moves into chapter 2. We're going to transition to chapter 2. We're going to jump around a little bit here in chapter 2. And he begins to address the Word of God, not only the worship, but the Word of God and how it's being presented. Uh, O priest, this command is for you. If you'll not listen, chapter 2, verse 2, if you'll not take to heart to give honor to my name, then I will send the curse upon you and I'll curse you. You're blessed. Indeed, I've already cursed them. So they're already under a curse because you did not lay it to heart. Now in the Hebrew life, the heart was the heart of Hebrew life. And he says, listen, behold, I rebuke your offspring, uh, verse 3, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Now, I don't know if that's your life verse, uh, that you'll have feces put on your faces. I hope that is not your life verse or a verse you'd put on a coffee cup somewhere. But the point is this. When they would make sacrifice, they would take the entrails and they'd take them out, out of the camp and they'd burn them because they were unclean. And God is saying, look, if you're going to dishonor my name, I'm going, to, I'm going to rub you down with the entrails of this sacrifice. I'm taking you outside the camp because you're unclean. You are dishonoring my name. You don't fear me. There's no awe of me in your heart and life. And so 
we get to the New Testament, and it's amazing what we read, that Jesus was taken outside of the city. The one who was clean. He was innocent. Totally innocent. Unblemished. And he took upon my sin. And your sin. And our uncleanliness. And he was taken outside of the camp. And he was crucified. So you and I wouldn't have to be. So you and I wouldn't have to die for the penalty of our sin. Jesus paid it for us. That's how much God loves you. And he wants you to fear him and honor him and be in awe of him. Who else loves you more than that? Nobody. God has proven it, that he loves you just as you are. Not a future version of you. Not an upgraded version of you. Not a get it all together you. Not a, not I got to figure all this out and clean myself up. You know, he loves you and he's proven it by way of the cross. We need to honor God and honor his name. Not only in our message, but in our ministry. Honor him. And here was the problem. Look at verse four in chapter two. So that you'll know that I've sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand. My covenant with him was one of, of life and peace. And I gave, I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. Levi feared God. Levi honored him. Levi was in awe of him. Verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth. He was teaching rightly. He was dividing the word rightly. He was speaking truth. And no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from me, Israel. Uh, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and I'll make you despise and abase before all the people. So they were not honoring God with, the with delivering the word. They were not honoring God with their instruction. They were not honoring the Lord through the word of God. If you are not in a church that does not preach truth, you need to get out now. You need to get out and put your family under the right division and teaching and preaching of the word of God. We have to honor God, not only with our message, but in our ministry. Here's some application questions as we go to the, the third main question. Just let me throw these out there for you to think about. Are you giving God second best? Is just okay... Is that okay with God? Are you presenting him with just okay? Are you weary of God? Do you have a passion for the nations? Have you lost an awe of God? Are you hungry for God's word? Question number three, are you honoring God's name in marriage? Chapter 2, verse 10 through 16. Now before you panic, because I know some here are married. I know some here are unmarried. I know some are remarried. I know some who hope to get married. Some probably never want to get married. Okay, so I can't, we can't put up guardrails for every single situation. So let me just give you this overall word that kind of sums up this section of Scripture. The word is faithfulness. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be fa if you're married, be faithful. If you're unmarried, be faithful. If you want to be married, be faithful. Be faithful, be faithful. Now, God does address marriage here, and it's very important that we dive in and understand it. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 10 through verse 16. Here we go. Are you honoring God's name in marriage? Are you honoring God's name in your relationships? Here's what God says. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? Why are we not being faithful to each other? Profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel. 
and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So the first thing he does about marriage is this. Hey, the New Testament version of this is do not be unequally yoked, right? <laughs> Don't marry a, a non-believer. This, this has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has everything is spiritual. That they were marrying daughters of foreign gods. This is not, this is not dealing uh, with, this is clearly dealing with what is spiritual. They, they are marrying people who do not serve and worship and honor and fear Yahweh. They just don't. So the New Testament version is don't be unequally yoked. Don't marry an unbeliever. Listen to me. Teenagers, college students, singles, look at me. Listen to me. This, this idea, uh, this uh, strategy that I've heard a little bit about, uh, flirt and convert. That if I flirt with so-and-so, I can convert them to a Christian. This is not a good idea. This is not a biblical strategy for finding a mate. Don't f Flirt and convert more times than not doesn't work, okay? <laughs> Beware of that. So don't marry an unbeliever. Don't uh, marry someone who does not fear the Almighty God, who is not a believer and follower of Christ. Don't date someone you would not marry. In my opinion, don't date at all. How about that? <laughs> I've also heard this term before, missionary dating. The young lady thinks, hey, I can, I, can, I, can, I can change this bad boy. I can convert him over to be a follower of Christ. Listen, you can't change anybody. And what happens is this missionary dating turns into cohabitating uh, a dating missionary will turn into a cohabitating missionary. In fact, I read this the other day in one, uh, one article. Women who say they're deeply religious are just as likely to live with men before marriage as women who are not deeply religious. So beware of that. Cohabitating is a sin against Almighty God. And so, honor God if you're unmarried. Honor God if you're married. Be, again, the word is be faithful. And so here we go. Here, look at verse 13. He, he doesn't stop here. He says, and the second thing that you do, uh, look at this. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping, groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it from, uh, with favor from your hand. And you say, well, why doesn't he accept it? Why didn't God accept my worship? So you show up here on Sunday, and you're raising your hands, and you're, you're singing and smiling and worshiping, and God's not accepting that. So, well, God, why not? Here's why. Look at it. Verse 14. But you say, why is he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit. In other words, husbands and wives, we can't mistreat each other all week and then show up here and Pretend like we're going to worship God. That's unacceptable to God. He's not, in other words, you cannot separate your devotional life from your relational life. Your worship, uh, corporate worship from relational life. You can't separate the two. God will not stand for us to separate worship life from relational life. You can't compartmentalize this, that, or the other. It's not just serving him, honoring him on Sundays. Every single solitary day. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord if indeed you are married. And what's the point? Godly offspring. Not just offspring, 
A lot, of us, a lot of us are good to have a bunch of kids, right? Not just offspring, godly offspring. Disciple them, raise them up in the way they should go. Now, again, this is not saying you have to have biological children to be faithful in marriage. We know the fall has affected people. Some people can't conceive. That is a, and that's been, man, that's caused so much heartache through the centuries. That's not the point here. The point again, be faithful. Be faithful be faithful. Guard yourselves. And look at this, verse, verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife. I was, one of my pastor friends said he had, a, he had a couple come to him and say, look, we're done. We want a divorce. The feeling's gone. And he sat down with the husband. He said, okay, look, here's what I want you to do. The Bible says you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. So start there. He said, man, I can't do it. I just, I can't love her like that. He said, okay, well, Jesus also said, love your neighbors yourself, so just start there. Can you love, love her as yourself? He said, man, it's just too much. I can't start there. And finally, he said, look, how about this? Just love your enemies. Can you start there? And then work your way up. Right? Be faithful. No matter the situation, be faithful. And God will be faithful. And again, this in no way is to heap guilt on anybody in any situation that you're in. The whole idea is wherever you find yourself right now, be faithful. Married, be faithful. Unmarried, faithful. Remarried, faithful. Be faithful. Number four, are you honoring God's name with your mouth? Look at chapter 2, verse 17. Are we honoring God's name with our mouth? Here's what God says. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Now, in chapter 1, the people were saying, we're sick of God. God, we're tired of you. God, we're weary of you, and we're weary of worship. Well, here God turns it around and says, guess what? I'm sick of you. I'm sick of hearing you. I'm sick of your meaningless, weariless words. I'm just sick of them. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? You see, that this is a back and forth conversation, the whole book. And the people are just indifferent. They're just apathetic. And by the way, I'll say this about apathy. A lot of people want to talk about prophecy. I believe that one of the, through Scripture, one of the greatest pieces of evidence that the Lord is coming soon is apathy among His church. An apathetic falling away from the local church. Uh, so as this was just a word from out, I mean, it, 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 think about it. This is Israel, and Israel's getting, they're honoring God less and less and less and less. And God says, my name's going to be great among the nations. And I look at the church in America today, and we're honoring God less and less and less and less. Now, in China and Africa, they're honoring God more and more and more and more and more. <laughs> I mean, they're having revivals breaking out, but here it's less and less. So what a word this is for us. What a word Malachi is for the church in America today. We have wearied God with our words. And here's, here's how they wearied him. Look at this. How have we wearied you? By saying this. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. And they're, they're saying what is untrue about God. They're thinking, well, Edom has not been punished. We went to exile. Edom did not go into exile. We fear God. Edom does not fear God. Edom is just, they're being blessed and they don't fear God. They don't think about God. And we who do, we're being cursed. You ever felt that way? God, why is this family who has nothing to do with you, why are you blessing them and you're not blessing me? And I'm trying my very best to honor you and fear you. Have you ever felt that way? You ever been in a place like that? That's, a, that, that's an honest question. 
right? It's an honest question. And that's what they are asking here and they're saying here about the Lord. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. And I love chapter 3, verse 1. This is so good. This is so good. God makes this promise again to us. And, and, and if we think about it this way, yes, in this world there is no justice. There, there's just not. Uh, there's good is evil and evil is good. And we see that all the time. But here's God's promise. Hold on, church. Press on, church. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify of silver and will purify the sons of Levi. He's going to purify those who fear him. He's going to prepare those who fear him. And they will, theirs will be pleasing to the Lord. But then verse 5, then I'll draw near to you for judgment. Those who are adulteresses, swearing falsely, those who do not fear me ultimately. So the promise is this is only temporary. This is not going to last. The Lord is coming. Amen? He is coming. So hold on. Meanwhile, let's honor God with our words. I was at a revival last week, an evangelist at Union Fork Baptist Church. And our choir and worship team did an incredible job leading worship uh, that night, and he said something that caught my attention. I, I'm not going to quote him because I can't remember exactly how he said it, but it was something like this. He said, you know, there's a reason Southern Baptists do not speak in other tongues because they can't control the one tongue they have. That's why. That's the only reason why. So with your words, are you wearying God? Are you murmuring and complaining? Or are you magnifying his name? Number five, are you honoring God's name with your money? The almighty dollar. Here we go. Chapter 3, verse 6. Are you honoring God's name with your money? For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. In other words, God hadn't destroyed them. Why? Because God's faithful. Even when we're not, he's faithful. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. Like currently. Like that is worded in a way that right now they're robbing him. Not they will or they have, they are right now currently robbing him. Right now they're robbing him. And then watch this, the whole nation of you, um, you're, you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Verse 9, you're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me. So it's not like they're going to be, they're under a curse currently right now. They're cursed because they're robbing God of what belongs to him. Bring the full tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open the heavens and for you and pour down for you blessing until there's no more need. Notice, he's not going to meet all our greeds, but all our needs. I'll rebuke the devourer, that's the locust, who are devouring everything. Uh, so that you will not, so will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine, and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. Why? Because God's name is going to be made great among the nations. His name will be honored among the nations. So here's what's happening here. This isn't a sow your seed and God's going to pour out a thousand times blessing on you. This is not a prosperity gospel. What is happening here is there's a drought. There's no food. There's locusts eating all their crops. Why? Because they are not being faithful in their giving. 
They're not. They're not being faithful with what God has given to them to give it back to him. And so they're currently right now under a curse. And God says, if you will turn to me, return to me, I will return to you. And I will lift this curse off of your blessing. And I'll pour down rain on your crops. They'll grow. You'll have food. You'll eat. Not so your needs will be met. And then nations will look at you and say, man, look at them. Wow, what's going on? Well, the Lord's going on. And his name will be great not only in Israel, but among all the nations. So here we are, the almighty dollar. Pastor, I just, I'm just in a situation right now financially where I just can't give because of this. So I've, I've written down some excuses I've heard, probably some I've used, okay, in my own life. And we're going to deal with them. So this will be a lot of fun, okay? Here we go. If you're not offended yet, hold on, okay? <laughs> I'm going to try to offend everybody in the room. Okay, here we go. Tithing is law, we're under grace. No, that's Old Testament, Pastor. We're not under Old Testament, we're under grace. Well, yes, we are under grace. Uh, we're certainly not under the law anymore, but that doesn't mean we just throw the law out. Right? The law tells us about the lawgiver. tells us who he is, what his character's like who he is. And so, we're, yes, we're under grace, and Christ has freed us, and we're free in Christ, but that doesn't mean that I can go and break the law of murder, right? I can't go murder somebody because I'm no longer under the law. I can't go commit adultery because I'm no longer under the law, but I'm free in Christ. I can't, can't do that. In the same way, we can't just ignore uh, this idea of giving back to the Lord what he has given uh, to us. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, uh, Jacob tithe to, to Israel tied to the priest. It was something that they did. In fact, they gave upwards of 23%. So if we're under grace now, how much more should we give? Not just 10%. I mean, think of it like this. Grace means that the tithe is not the ceiling anymore. It's now the floor. It's where we start, not where we end. It's where we start. Tithing is the floor, not the ceiling. Here's another excuse I've heard. Well, I make too much money now to tithe. I used to make, when I made $20,000 a year, that, well, I could tithe on that. 10% of that wasn't too bad. But now I'm making $200,000 a year, and that's too much money to tithe. I, that's that's, that's, that's $20,000. I can't tithe that. That's too much money. I had, again, I had another pastor friend of mine who had somebody come to him with this problem. He made one amount early in his life. Later on, he's making more, and he's saying, it's just too much. I, I can't, that's too much to tithe on. So I need you to pray for me. And so the pastor said, okay, let's pray. Here's what my pastor friend said. He prayed, Dear Lord, this man has a problem, and I pray that you'll help him. Lord, please help him. Reduce his salary back to the place where he can afford to tithe. <laughs> I say amen to that. Number three, here's a third excuse. I, I can't afford to tithe. I don't make enough to tithe. Okay? I, just, I, don't have, I don't have any discretionary income. I, I, I'm, I'm on a fixed budget. Here's what God's saying to his people. It's not that you can't afford to tithe. It's you can't afford to not to tithe. Now, let me be clear. If you don't have an income, God doesn't expect you to give if you don't have anything coming in. Right? He only expects you to give on what you have, not what you don't have. Okay? But God is saying clearly, put me first. That's the whole point. Put me first. If, and I challenge anybody that says, I, have discretion, I don't have any discretionary income. If somebody in your family is sick, you're going to find some discretionary income. So I'd push back on that a little bit. Honor God with your giving. Number four, here's, here's another one. The when-then givers. Pastor, when this happens, when I get my house paid off, when I get my cars in order, when I get the credit cards paid off, when my kids are out of school, then I'll give. Well, the problem with when-then is when never 
ends and then never comes. It's just not going to happen. Uh, college students, got some college, stu- college students, y'all raise your hand, got some college students, and teenagers, raise your hand, students all around the place, got, yeah, we got some in here, okay, let, let me just, I read something the other day that shocked me, I just wasn't expecting this, I know a lot of college students don't have a lot of money, I know one of my, J.D. Greer's church, a college student put a biscuit in the offering, praise God for the biscuit, right, I didn't know what to expect at our fall festival. You know, we had goldfish this year at the fall festival. I'm, I, I, haven't, I don't know if anybody put goldfish in the offering today, some dead goldfish, because parents had to take them home. I know that was not fun to take all those goldfish home. Thank you for, for that, uh, for being gracious in that. Um, and it was funny, after everybody got their goldfish, there were pictures on social media of everybody at Walmart trying to buy fish bowls and all kind of stuff. So, again, I'm sorry about all that. That's, feel kind of kind of bad it's kind of funny though so but I read something the other day that Sean said college students have the most discretionary income of any group of people in America which shocked me like 53.9 billion and a lot of y'all are probably saying well where is that money right if you have any income from parents uh, from any type of job God expects you to give he just flat out expects you to give what you have. He does not expect what you don't have, but what you do have. And again, this, is, this has nothing to do with money. This has everything to do with discipleship. Everything to do with discipleship. How about this one? I've heard this excuse before. I tithe my time, right? Well, that's great. We need your time. We need your service, of course. Uh, but that doesn't excuse you from giving to the Lord's uh, work. In fact, I've... <laughs> Uh, you know, can you write the IRS a letter and say, look, I know I owe 20% in taxes this year, but I'm not going to pay any money. I was 20% nicer to people this year, so that will suffice. Probably won't work with the IRS, will it? Uh, I give to other things besides the church. Well, that's great. We do as well. Now, we give, uh, actually, we give first to the local church where we're serving because I believe the local church is a place where the greatest need which is not only physical, but also spiritual, is being met, uh, that lost people are still lost, and the best way to reach them is through the local church. In fact, here, if you give, uh, if, if you'll give to our operating budget, a portion of that goes to the cooperative program, and a portion of that goes to the International Mission Board that sends missionaries all over the world to make God's name great among the nations. That's part of what we give to here. So we're very intentional about evangelism and reaching lost people. And so if I were a member of a church, that's where I would start is the local church. And I wouldn't just cap it at 10, and I wouldn't cap my giving at 10. Man, I'd give to other, we give to four or five different other things besides beyond the church, and I'd encourage that as well, to advance the kingdom of God. And some may say, well, I, I was in a church formerly, and I didn't like the way they spent the money. They just wasted it. So I'm not going to give anymore. That's like throwing out not only the baby with the bathwater, but throwing out bathing altogether. You're not going to throw out bathing altogether, right? And, and you say, well, I want to give to something that's going to make a difference. Uh, like, think about it. If you had a stock that was just doing so well, you'd give more to it, not less. People are lost. There's no greater need than the lostness of mankind that every single day there are hundreds of thousands of people that die without Christ. That is unacceptable. So let's honor God through our giving, through our money. At, at, at our house the other night for Halloween, we had hot dogs on Halloween in our driveway. 
grilled out some hot dogs, gave away 75 hot dogs, gave away 80 cupcakes, and one of the dads came by and said, man, I'm going to make my kid tonight lay out all the candy and get my 10%. I want my tithe on that candy. Another dad said, I don't want the tithe. I want the taxes. Taxes are more on that candy. I'm going to get more of it. It was a great night, great fellowship. It just reminded me of something. You know, God owns everything, does he not? (laughs) He provides all of our needs. He can take it all away like that. He can make it rain on us in a moment and remove the curse and bless us. So let's be faithful. Let's honor him in our giving. Number six, are you honoring God's name with your membership? Uh, From verse 13 to verse 18 in chapter 3, uh, this is, is speaking about those who are uh, righteous and wicked, those who serve God and those who don't serve God. And here's the, the, here's the scripture I want you to focus on because we're running out of time. Verse 14, it is vain to serve God. Somebody say that with me. It is vain to serve God. Say it one more time. It is vain to serve God. That's what Israel was saying. That's what many of us are saying in our hearts. It's meaningless to serve God. It's vain to serve God. But Solomon says, wait a minute. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, hold on. The only thing that is not vain, the only thing that is not meaningless is serving the Lord. So they had it backwards. Many of us today, we have it backwards. We need to return to the Lord and he will return to us. Number seven, are you honoring God's name in the meantime? Right now, in the meantime, as we await his coming, are you honoring God's name right now? Look at chapter 4. I'm going to read these six verses. Uh, Look at verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, who I love this, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the storm. Man, we're going to be set free one day. We're going to be delivered from the power, presence, penalty of sin. And we're just going to leap out in freedom like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So here's what we do meantime. Remember. Remember Moses. Remember the law. Remember the law of my servant Moses, my statutes, rules I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. And then here's what else we're to do. Look for Elijah. Remember God's word and look for Elijah. When you get to the New Testament and you read about John the Baptist, many thought that John the Baptist was Elijah. Why? Because of Malachi. Malachi told him, look for Elijah. He's coming. And John the Baptist came. Now, Elijah exactly didn't come, but one who prepared the way. uh, John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Christ to come. And guess what? 400 years later, he showed up. So it's been 2,000 years since Christ ascended. And I'm telling you, church, he's coming again. Behold, our king is coming. So hold on. Be faithful. Stand true. I was reading about American uh, frontier days and there was a settlement in the west whose citizens uh, were engaged in the lumber business there was a town that was established and they wanted a church they built a church they called a minister and the minister noticed that as the logs were floating down the the river they were stamped of course with the owners who owned them but his parishioners were pulling these logs sawing off the stamp of the owners and keeping them for themselves so he stood up in the pulpit and preached, Thou shalt not steal. And after the sermon, everybody came. I said, Great sermon, Pastor, keep it up. Good job. 
So he scratched his head. So the next week he stood up and says, Thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not cut off the end of thy neighbor's logs. <laughs> and when he said that, the congregation ran him out of town. So that was the end of his ministry in that town. Don't shoot the messenger, but shout the message, man. I mean, make God, honor God, make much of him in your marriage, in your, with your money, with your message. In the meantime, while you're waiting on him to come in your worship and everything that you do, make much of him today. Believer, press on. Keep being uh, obedient. Keep being faithful. Keep waiting. Keep praising. Keep trusting. Our king is coming.